And I'm Kim. She's getting dressed and she finishes and she recognizes she's wearing the most amazing gown. And I want you all to hear about this because it's say, like, read it to us. Read us some words, Kim. Because it says, and the dress, dot, dot, dot. I'd never worn anything like it. And I doubted I'd ever wear anything like it again. Crafted of tiny blue gems so pale they were almost white, it clung to every curve and hollow before draping to the floor and pulling like liquid starlight. The long sleeves were tight, capped at the wrists with cuffs of pure diamond. The neckline grazed my collarbones, the modesty of it undone by how the gown hugged areas I supposed a female might enjoy showing off. My hair had been swept off my face with two combs of silver and diamond, then left to drape down my back. And I thought as I stood alone in my room that I might've looked like a fallen star. And can I just say, wow. Yeah. And like I said, if you know things about clothes, then also like, Damn, person mm, made that mm. shit and what they were doing. Mm. Also a little psychic. <laughs> uh, just a skosh. I think we somehow don't talk about that when we find out, but I, I think that probably should have been discussed. <laughs> I think there were some psychic uh, visionings happening. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, because otherwise I don't know how this all came together. Um, like I said, if you don't know what I'm talking about, keep reading. Yeah, keep reading. <laughs> She goes up to the roof because she knows she's going to have to fly or walk up 10,000 steps. And let's face it, that dress, I'm not walking up 10,000 steps. So, also, like, how heartbreaking would you be if you were like, okay, I got my dress, I got my hair done, I got my shoes, and you go upstairs and you're like, fuck, there is nobody here to fly me. Am I really about to walk my ass up those stairs? Like, can you imagine being like, and they all left without me? Great, fucking great. Exactly. Well, that and okay, one of the things that she says, she gets up there and the entire city is basically dark. Everybody's turned out their lights. So then she'd have to walk in the dark. Right. So now she's probably sitting there thinking, like, damn, it's dark. I don't really know where I'm going. I'm like, do I just put my pajamas on? Do I just quit? <laughs> no, she's not going to do that. But she gets up there and somebody is waiting for her. Thank God. A nice, tall, beautiful man with wings. But it's not Reese. It's Cass. <laughs> I was just saying, nice, tall, beautiful man. It, it's Cassian, though. But, you know, that's okay, too. <laughs> like, I keep telling people, think Jason Momoa and you're on. Beggars can't be choosers, man. <laughs> no, they really can't. <laughs> oh, oh, man. No, no, they can't. Cassian scoops her up and he teases her. Because of all the rides, all the, the the gems and stones on her dress, that she might be too heavy for him to fly. <laughs> right, I know. I love that because it's Cass. Well, Cassian does that kind of stuff. I also like how as soon as he sees her and she's like, you know, all dolled up, he's like, "Damn, I should have had the ghosty girls dress me." <laughs> well, there is that too. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. As they're flying, she's realizing. 
I wished I had wings, great powerful wings so that I might fly as they did, so that I might see the world and all it had to offer. And he literally sets her down. He disappears to go inside, get her a drink and comes back out. And as she says, he was pressing a glass into my hand before I could even miss him. But there was no sign of Reese. So Reese's pieces is still MIA here, people. Yeah, he's yeah. Down for the count, apparently. <laughs> I just don't know what to think. But she starts looking around for her friends. And she's come to realize that the inner circle really is they're her friends. They're not just her companions or whatever, they're actually her friends, probably even more so than Lucian ever was, which honestly is saying a lot, I think at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think she's realizing she doesn't, she doesn't know if she's ever really had friends. Yeah, you know, I do. I think, I think she has made that realization. And as she's coming to this realization and looking around for people, more finds her, more comes up to her more again this this whole chapter the first little bit is about how everybody is dressed and looks <laughs> and we have a whole song picked out for it so oh, damn. we'll hear about that in the, at the end of the episode <laughs> it's more were a gown of pure white little more than a slip of silk that showed off her generous curves indeed a glance over her shoulder revealed Azrael staring blatantly at the back view of it <laughs> Boy, <laughs> Oof. as soon as I read that, I was like, "Oh, dude, my man." <laughs> Ooh. yeah, yeah. Anyway, but her realization at this moment is so freaking weird to me. <laughs> she's like, so she yeah, she notices ass like I'll ball and more, right? And she's like, I remember. Okay, this is the thing. We'll discuss like my two confusions here in a minute. I remembered feeling like that. Remembered how it felt to yield to it. How I come close to doing that the other night. Wait, she like okay. I now know what she was trying to say. But the first time I read, it, I was like, wait, you are identifying with Azriel and like the like drooling, staring at somebody, or you're identifying with more being able to like wield that look at my gorgeous ass power. I'm a little confused. <laughs> or a little bit of both. Or both both is good <laughs> both is perfectly good but i was like what this is the weirdest written paragraph i've ever heard i remember feeling like that like fucking what <laughs> like, which one <laughs> see all of the above yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i was very confused <laughs> uh, i guess it doesn't matter but i still think it's probably the worst written paragraph in the book yeah very specific (laughs) makes you wonder doesn't it i mean oh yeah Mm -hmm. la 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 um so she and more talking and more's like well the fun's gonna start soon and fair's like what yeah she's like you mean there's more than this party what and she did you know more's like oh yeah we don't care about this part just wait you'll know when it starts don't worry (laughs) it's like well, can we just be any more cryptic? <laughs> yeah, she's like, can somebody just tell me already? Poor, poor, poor favors like the fuck. Um, more does let it slip that 
no, you will not see Amarin tonight because Amarin seems to have issues with Starfall. There's something about it that she finds disturbing. Yeah, well. <laughs> I have a TikTok that will clear that up for us later. <laughs> well, yeah. Again, if you've read read beyond and you've read the series especially if you've read book three you know exactly what we're talking about why it probably disturbs her but for anyone who hasn't it it disturbs Amarin. and then Farrah starts chit-chatting and she's like are you ready for tomorrow and you know tomorrow poor Moore has to go to the court of nightmares and check on her daddy dearest and Feyre has, and, and everybody else are going to the, uh, the Illyrian camp, except for Amarin, who will be staying guarding Valaris. And Azrael will come back to meet them all there, but Azrael has to go do something with the humans. So he's off. And they're talking about this. Um, and it kind of Elite's favorite down a path to ask these questions about Moore's relationship with not only Cassian but Azrael. And, and I we find out. I don't see, like, I cannot picture myself standing here at this event in this fucking outfit talking to Moore and being like, you know what I should do right now? Tell me your deepest, darkest secrets about your boyfriend. <laughs> like, yeah. Or, like, I, I, I don't, um, don't understand. <laughs> this does not feel like the time or place to me. <laughs> odd. Very odd. But, but this she is does. the woman who decided to, like, you know, deal with her trauma while trying to fight off the fucking weaver. So, I mean, <laughs> we don't necessarily make the best choices. <laughs> no, no, we don't. She certainly does not. But we finally do hear her story. And <laughs> apparently she finally admits that when she was 17, she, she slept with Cass. She decided Cass was going to be the person to take her virginity. So he did. Yeah, she figured it was a, you know, decent move. <laughs> and um, it, it apparently had some pretty negative repercussions. And her family didn't handle it very well. Reese didn't handle it well because say, of the in fairness, Reese didn't handle it well either. Um, yeah, but he wasn't violent. Her family was violent. I mean... I don't know. He was a little violent. He and Cassia got into it, but, you know, like, they both lived to tell the tale, so it's fine. <laughs> no permanent damage was done to Cassian because of Reese. Right. <laughs> um, I, I think more has permanent damage from that one. Yeah. So... And even Azrael was pretty unhappy. But anyway. Yeah, um, it didn't go well for anyone involved. No, it, 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 was, it was not a pleasant experience. So Farrah's kind of gently prodding and pushing because, well, the other person she's really talked to for two days is Cassie. And I don't know if I blame her at this point either. And so she's like, so you and Cassie and you never got together again after that? And, and Moore's like, oh no no um and she admits that you know she's had lovers Cass has had lovers as has had lovers and as they get up to it she's like you know she's like I've had lovers 
Moore says this. She goes, I've had lovers, but I get bored. And Cassian has had them too. So don't get that unrequited love, moony woo-woo look. He just wants what he can't have. And it's irritated him for centuries that I walked away and have never looked back. But also, again, keep fucking reading people. It will all make so much sense. It will. In so many ways. It will. Because <laughs> the first time I read this, I was like, I still don't really get it. Like, everybody already beat the shit out of each other. What do you have to lose? <laughs> but um, keep reading because uh, it all fucking makes sense, friends. It does. It does. <laughs> And lo and behold, guess who shows up literally at this opportune conversation that Reese, that 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 Feyre and and more are having, right? Reese, Reese, yeah, Reese's pieces finally shows up to the party. Woohoo! He's here, and he acknowledges that yes, it totally drives Cass insane. And as he shows up, Morgan basically excuses herself from the two of them. Yeah, she's like, mm, I gotta go be anywhere but here. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, look, I have a friend over there. I gotta go say hi. Bye. <laughs> in, fair, in fairness, Reese pulls like early book two, late book one Reese and looks at Farron and is like, mm, you finally look like a woman again. And Moore's <sighs> like, oh boy, you really know how to talk to women because I'm fucking outsies. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> She's like, oh, Ooh. this has shoe throwing energy all over it. <laughs> exactly. And she was there for that, so she knows. <laughs> exactly. She's like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Gotta go. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Kezo. <laughs> and Farrah basically calls him out and she's like, so uh, do you plan to ignore me more? <laughs> Boy. Well, I don't know if I blame her at this point. I mean, literally radio silence for more than two days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he was an asshole about it. But again, is this the time or place? Is it, though? <laughs> All right, let's look. I love Reese. I love Farah, But let's look at the two people involved and you tell me. Ugh, again. Okay, like, they both have more emotional intelligence than a certain fucking high lord from the Supreme Court. But I'm just saying. They're not number exactly... of, you mean the toolbox to, tool? Yeah, yeah. The tool van Taylor. <laughs> He's woo. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, but there's we're still dealing with people who have like the emotional, like, you know, intelligence of like squirrels. So <laughs> Yes. And Reese's response back to her is, is well, I'm here now, aren't I? I wouldn't want you to call me a hateful coward again. <laughs> and then Reese finally comes back because she really doesn't have a response to this and she's like um hmm." and Reese is like I wasn't punishing you I just I needed time womp womp and then finally she says what I did, which is like in her head, she's like, I didn't want to have this conversation here with so many people listening. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. Good call. <laughs> well, Maybe having you this discussion in front up. of half the night court, probably isn't a good idea. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, thanks for catching up. <laughs> call me crazy. 
so she she starts asking him about what this is and as soon as she does he goes look up and literally the crowd gets super quiet and she's like no speech and he's like tonight isn't about me though my presence is appreciated and noted tonight is about that and he points to the sky <laughs> and as he does a star vaults itself across the sky it's brighter it's closer than anything she'd ever seen before and the crowd in the city below cheered and she leaned back and she's like wait a minute this isn't the right position to be in with Reese. <laughs> she almost like leaned into him. And then another star crosses. And another. And another. Until like thousands of them were going across the sky. And it says in here, and I love this description, the stars cascaded over us, filling the world with white and blue light. They were like living fireworks, and my breath lodged in my throat as the stars kept on falling and falling. I'd never seen anything so beautiful. And when the sky was full with them, when the stars raced and danced and flowed across the world, the music began. So, you have all these stars coming across the sky, like take the Perseids and multiply it times a thousand, I guess is the closest thing I can think of. And they're, it's a party, man. It really is a party because they, once the stars start coming and they apparently will fall all night, they, you know, they start dancing and partying it up. And she's looking at this dancing. And remember, the last time she saw people dancing, especially in, in the night court, it was the court of nightmares. And she's like, this is joyous, peaceful dancing for the love of sound and movement and life. And I think that that's such a distinct change from what she saw a couple nights ago. And, and I, I think we need to differentiate that because this is truly a celebration, a, a joyous event and occasion. Um, probably think, I guess the closest thing we could think of maybe would be like a New Year's Eve party. That was kind of the vibe I got from it too. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I keep picturing it the same way. It was basically they're like <laughs> New Year's Eve party. Yeah, it's kind of like a New Year's yeah. Eve party. Cause they're dressed up and they're in their fancies and they're drinking champagne and, and, time and yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Yep. I picture the same thing. And, but, but honestly, like as a good time versus my experience of New Year's Eve being like, yeah, yeah. Let's go into the city and the city around here being DC. Yeah. Let's go into the city. And now you're just cold and there's traffic and everything sucks. <laughs> and you're wearing stupid. heels. Yeah, you're wearing heels and everyone's being stupid and it's just not a good time. <laughs> so it's like what you think New Year's Eve is going to be, not what it actually is when you get there. <laughs> the New Year's Eve in the movies. <laughs> yeah, the New Year's Eve on TV, not the New Year's Eve you experience when it's fucking December 31st and it's cold as shit in most of the country. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, go on. <laughs> She's looking around and she sees more and as and Cassian. 
The three of them dancing together. Moore's head tipped back to the sky, arms up, the starlight gleaming on the pure white of her gown, dancing as if it might be her last time, flowing between Azrael and Cassian, like the three of them were one unit, one being. And I looked behind me to find Reese watching them, his face soft, sad. Because, guys, this is his first starfall in 50 years because of Amarantha. And it, it does kind of click in Farrah's brain and she's like, oh shit. And Reese catches her looking at him and he's like, come on, there's somewhere else we can go. And he takes her to a better, quieter view. And we get a snowflake. I just love, I just love like her thought process though, because the last paragraph before the snowflake is she's thinking about like what she's seeing in him and she's saying that sorrow, that weight lingered in his eyes and I couldn't bear to see it just as I couldn't bear to see my three friends dancing together as if it was the last time they'd ever do it. I know. And it just, it even tells she's having this moment where she's like, I think the problem we have here is like, favorite for the most part is not like she's not like a selfish person she doesn't mean it this way but she is also way younger than everybody else i think sometimes she gets so caught up in her own trauma that she kind of momentarily lapses and forgets what everyone else is going through too and then she has these moments where all of a sudden she's like oh shit like he's hurting they're hurting and they're not even hurting for the same reason that i don't even know if they're terribly aware of each other's reasons and she's like oh shit <laughs> like well but to also keep in mind she's 20 that's what i mean that's what i'm saying like some of it's just an age thing i mean good god and she's fairness, 20 and they're all over 500 last, yeah she's had the more trauma in the last year of her life than most of them had in you know a good chunk of there so in exactly. fairness yeah <laughs> but yeah then you got a snowflake <laughs> And so we have a snowflake and Reese is taking her up to a smaller private balcony on a higher level of the house of wind. So they can one, be closer and watch the stars fall because they're falling. And she's starting to lean over and she went to go sit too close to the edge. And she's like, nah, I don't think so. It's probably not a good idea. And Reese is so cute because he goes, well, if you fell, you know I'd bother to save you before you hit the ground. She's like, well, like not her. until I'm close yeah. to death. Yeah, exactly. She's like, not until then? Okay, good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, as a punishment for what I said to you. And he's like, I said some horrible things too. And Farah then says, I didn't mean it, I blurted. I meant it more about myself than you, and I'm sorry. Praise God we get an apology out of her finally. Yeah, it only took a book and a half. <laughs> we finally learned that sorry word. Yes. But Reese does acknowledge, and he says, you were right, though. I stayed away because you were right. Though I'm glad to hear my absence felt like a punishment. And then she's studying these stars and she comes to realize something. These aren't stars. It's some kind of a spirit 
and it's a yearly migration that these spirits make and you know they're just treated as stars and we don't know why they do this we they know nothing about it other than this is when it happens and you know they he as he says they'll keep coming until dawn or i hope they will and he's and fair's like what's happening to them and he's like i wish i knew but they keep coming back despite it and she's like why your mic your mic's feeding back sorry is that better yeah just go back to um the part where he said like they'll keep coming until dawn or i hope so suddenly it was speeding back okay so she's looking and they're talking and and he's like they'll keep coming until dawn or i hope they will there were less and less of them the last time i witnessed starfall before amarantha had locked them away what's happening to them I looked in time to see him shrug, something twanged in my chest. I wish I knew, but they keep coming back despite it. Why? Why does anything cling to something? Maybe they love wherever they're going so much that it's worth it. Maybe they'll keep coming back until there's only one star left. Maybe that one star will make the trip forever out of the hope that someday... If it keeps coming back often enough, another star will find it again. She frowns at the wine in her hand and she's like, well, that's a sad thought. I'm not saying that somebody is processing how they feel, but somebody is processing how they feel in that moment. I think two somebodies are processing how they feel in that moment. Yeah, but I think it's definitely a Reese thing specifically because I think he's thinking of himself exactly like that one sad little star where he's like, you know, because we know how he feels. We know he's like, I'm never going to get the fairy tale ending. I'm never going to get people to like me, blah, right. blah, blah. And I think he's not like that, like, but I'm just going to keep trying. Just going to keep going. Just, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Swimming. <laughs> yeah. So I was he's just like, like the, wow. He, he's like the little engine that could. Exactly. <laughs> um, and as this is starting to happen and they're still talking and she's like well you know why aren't you down there and he he kind of explains what amarantha did to him and he he explains how amarantha basically she knew what starfall was and she knew how important it was to his entire court how even the court of nightmares would crawl out from under the mountain and they would literally go to watch starfall and amarantha knew it so she literally tortured him by keeping him in her bedroom locked up and using him for sex all night i mean that's kind of horrific yeah and she's trying to look at him to ask more questions and all of a sudden she's blinded because one of these little stars literally crashes into her face and smears stardust all over her. And she starts laughing and restarts laughing. And 
as she said, she goes, I wiped my face when I pulled my hands down. I gaped. Pale green light, like drops of paint, glowed and flexed on my hand. Splattered star spirit. I didn't know if I should be horrified or amused or disgusted. <laughs> yeah, for real, though. It's like, oh, that's fun. Oh, ew, wait a minute. She goes to rub it off and Reese's like, no, 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 don't. It looks like your freckles are glowing. And she goes to shove him and he gets hit by one. <laughs> They're really standing in the wrong spot, clearly. He wanted to take her up closer. <laughs> he did. Yeah, it's like you look around and you realize nobody else is on balconies and it's like, oh, everyone else is smarter than us. <laughs> Pretty much. And apparently the entire left side of his face had been hit by this thing. And she says, it's like heavenly war paint. That's what it looked like. I could see why he didn't want me to wipe mine away. He was examining his hands covered in the dust. And I stepped towards him, peering at the way it glowed and glittered. He went still as death as I took one of his hands in my own. And I traced a star shape on top of his palm, playing with the glimmer and shadows until it looked like one of the stars that had hit us. His fingers tightened around mine, and I looked up, and he was smiling at me and looked so unhigh lord like with the glowing dust on the cheek of his face that I grinned back. I hadn't even realized what I had done until his own smile faded and his mouth parted slightly. Smile again, he whispered. I hadn't smiled for him, ever, or laughed. Under the mountain, I had never grinned, never chuckled, and afterward, and this male before me, my friend, for all that he had done, I had never given him either, even when I had just, I had just painted something on him, for him. I'd, I'd painted again. So I smiled at him broad and without restraint. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, it's really cute and all that. And then he tells her like, you know, she's exquisite and all this and it's cute. But Kim knows I call bullshit on this. <laughs> I call complete bullshit on this whole she has not smiled thing. Now, Kim, you cleared it up for me a little bit. Maybe she has not like consciously smiled at him. Because here's my thing, guys. I was like, I understand that Farrah and I have different personalities, but there is no way in hell that between Under the Mountain and then like coming to his fucking house for a week here and there for all these fucking months, and then now like training with him and Cass and all that, I call bullshit. Something would have gotten your goat at some point and made you giggle. Yeah. Something I mean, dude, Cassian. Right. Something at some point would make you go, what the fuck, man? Like, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but like, I know me, I'd have laughed at his, like, I'd have laughed in his face up in the mountain. I'd have been like, as soon as he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And like I said, this is clearly the difference between me and Farrah. I don't care if I'm dying. Kim knows. I clearly laugh as, you know, my way of dealing with pain. So <laughs> if somebody had said to me, like, bitch, you're dying. I can help you if you will stay with me one week out of the month. I'd have been like, you, you want to see? me after this <laughs> you want to see all of this after this <laughs> okay like, you you think i'm gonna live you funny <laughs> like, <laughs> there is no way 
that I'd have made it this long without cracking a smile. So I call bullshit, but whatever. And, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, you and I have talked about it. I don't totally believe that she had never smiled for him. I really think she had never consciously smiled for him. Right. And, and maybe not to that degree that exactly. she's like straight up smiling. And that's like what he's finding endearing about it or whatever. But I'm just like, I call bullshit. You're both full of crap. Yeah. Pot, kettle, black. I don't like, know, call me. You romantic freaks. <laughs> but it, I love how it's written because it's just so sweet how Sarah J. Mass wrote it. Like, it's just a, oh. oh sure. <laughs> it's like I say to Kim, I, for storytelling purposes, I understand. It's kind of like how you read things in Pride and Prejudice and you're like, oh, that's like super sweet and romantic and whatever. But if it happened in real life, you'd be like, jackass. <laughs> Like if you met Darcy in real life, you'd be like, get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, that's cute because it's a book. Uh-huh. Exactly. I find it funny. How come we acknowledge this and we are willing to forgive and go with it in a book, but in real life, we're like, F you. <laughs> like <laughs> I think it's because in a book you get to give it your own spin in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can ha- you can hear the delivery in your head however you want to hear the delivery versus in real life, somebody else is saying those words and they probably don't come across halfway as well as you think they will. Because think about the things you want to say and then how they come out your mouth. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I have a good case of foot and mouth disease on a regular basis, so. Same, exactly. So, I mean, I think that's the thing is when you read it in a book, it's so carefully yeah. crafted and you can hear it in your head and you're like, oh, I know exactly the intonation and I know exactly what you're saying. But like in real life, the chances of those things working out, slim to them. That's true. That is very, very true. So she starts teasing him and she's like, tell me what you're thinking. You owe me two thoughts. <laughs> Because remember, the very first night he brought her there, she gave him five. He only gave her three. So he owes her two. And so he's like, wonder why I didn't speak or see to you? Because I was so convinced you'd throw me out on my ass. I just, I figured hiding was a better alternative. And then. The second thing he decides he he tells her is that he wants to take back that kiss from under the mountain. The one after Tamlin had kissed her in that little hallway, whatever, that we that Kelsey and I both got off about on more than one occasion. I just want to point out it wasn't just us. Matt didn't understand either. <laughs> we we went and found a dude and he didn't get it either. He was like, I'd help to find a way out. Duh. Yeah. It was like, I can think of like five other things I would have done first. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Favor admits, you know, she forgot the kiss, but she also recognizes that she now knows he did it literally to keep her safe, to protect her. And You know, and, like Kim and I said, people. <laughs> yeah. Hello? It only takes us till almost 70 percent of the way through this book but if, you know if you're still listening to this podcast then you knew that too <laughs> but there are people on this planet that never made it this far and still don't believe us this is true sad sad but true 
and he he says something in here that I don't know if you noted, Kim, because well, why would you? There's a lot of things in these chapters. <laughs> but the reason I say it is because it comes back in one of my chapters later that I'm gonna cover, which is he's like when she asks like why he wants to take it back, he has a very specific reason, which is he says, because I didn't make it pleasant for you and I was jealous and pissed off and knew you hated me. Oh. Tuck that in your cap because it does come up later. Yeah, it does. It comes up later in this book for that matter. It literally comes up like three chapters from now and I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> yep. Because somebody yeah. has a dumbass moment. <laughs> uh, pick one. Pick one. Um, and she realizes he's being very honest with her and very truthful. And he's trusting her with his thoughts and his feelings. And that kind of makes a bit of an impact on her, but she doesn't quite know what to do with it. So what is her response? But she's like, well, dance with me. Down there with them. And she's like, where the music beckoned, where life beckoned, where he should spend the night with his friends and where I wanted to spend it with them too even with the strangers in attendance. I did not mind stepping out of the shadows, did not mind even being in the shadows to begin with, so long as he was with me. My friend through so many dangers who had fought for me when no one else would, even myself. Just and he tuck that in your cap for later too, because next episode I'm about to be so damn annoyed. <laughs> Because I feel like we forget this paragraph. So tuck it yeah. in your cap because it's so sweet and so cute and relevant. Anyway, they go downstairs and they join everybody in the party and go dancing. And the chapter ends. And I don't want to go into any more because I've already given you guys far more of this chapter than I really wanted to. But y'all got to read it. This is such a magical chapter. It's gorgeous. It is so well written, which is why she had to read so much of it because it's like you can't explain it as well as obviously Sarah J. Master. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, from from a book club point of view, when we look at this, like when we talked about this, it, you know, Kelsey and I, we do talk about this. Like we talk about these books before we even get together to do this. She and I sit down, we talk about them and we talk our ideas out with each other and our thoughts out. Just to make sure we're not totally like crazy because we don't always see things the same way and you know exactly. that's great and so to be able to kind of have that conversation with one another and just you know we talk it out like you would in a book club like you would in a class where you're doing this kind of analysis and I love that exactly and and I think the other thing too is like it's it's like I said why sometimes we even note different stuff because like we focus on different chapters and so like the chapters I'm going to focus on later in this episode it was important that that quote's going to come back. And so it's like, yes. oh, like, you know, like somebody else might read it and be like, oh, that's nice, but I don't need to bring it up. And I'm like, oh, oh no, you do, because I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> so that's the other thing. I think, I think that's what's fun about doing like this in a podcast format for other people who don't have someone to talk it through with, yeah. but also just like for the two of us, because we just can't get enough. <laughs> no, we really can't. We talk about this stuff all the time. <laughs> 
to, to the distress of both of our spouses, I think at times. And I know to the distress of my son too. I think they're just glad that they don't have to hear it anymore. <laughs> well, there is that. There's definitely but that. we have each other. Yes, we do. It's chapter 45. <laughs> do it. It's the next day. Yeah. Okay, so it starts off. I'm going to tell you guys. Tired and hungover. <laughs> they're all tired and hungover. And they're at the Illyrian war camp. Wah, 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 up in the mountains. So let's just face it. Tired, hungover, and cold. <laughs> Not how I want to start my day. I don't know about y'all. Literally my worst nightmare. <laughs> but Farah is reflecting back on everything up to this point, getting them right there to this cold, barren, miserable, wet, nasty place. And she says that they had danced all night, all of them together. She had never seen Reese so happy, laughing with Az, drinking with more, bickering with Cassian. I danced with each of them. And when the night had shifted toward dawn and the music became soft and honeyed, I had let Reese take me in his arms and dance with me slowly until the other guests had left, until Moore was asleep on a settee in the dining room and the gold disc of the sun gilded Valaris. He'd flown me back to the townhouse through the pink and purple and gray of the dawn, both of us silent, and had kissed my brow once before walking down the hall to his own room. But I love that she talks about they all dance together. She danced with all of them. They... And then he literally danced with her like he promised all night long. And it just, oh, oh. <laughs> it gives me such good feelings. I'm sorry. I was going to say, it's super cute to envision, I think, because I, I'm like, I can't think of a perfect like analogy for it, but it's kind of similar to like when you watch all like those Regency romances and stuff mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, like, you know, like, can I have this next dance? And like, there's that whole thing about having like a dance card and it's like how, who you're going to dance with in what order. And it was like a big fucking deal if somebody was like, nah, bitch, like, basically rip up your dance card, you're mine. And yes. that's basically what happened here was basically it was like, oh, everybody else can dance with whoever the hell they want to and they can all go home and sleep whenever they want to, but not, not you. <laughs> right. <laughs> It was sweet. It's sweet. The romantic in me just goes gooey. What can I say, people? You know, she's, she, she's, they get up. It's lunchtime. And they're in the dining room and everybody's kind of quiet and hungover <laughs> trying to eat. Except Amron. Amron's not hungover, but everybody else is. She's like, I managed to speak to them, but most of my energy went into not looking at Reese and thinking about the feeling of his body pressed to mine as we danced for hours that brush of his mouth on my skin okay hold your horses here people can we just say i think somebody's got it bad okay right and now that song's like stuck in my head but anyway um. love you <laughs> Love you, love you. <laughs> but we could be like, oh, this is so cute, but it's fair we're talking about. So now we have to get all like, you know, self-sabotaging. Out of her head. <laughs> now we she's self-sabotaging in her head. Yeah, now, now she's about to get all self-sabotaging. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, the guilt is eating her, and she's decided that she's got the little voice in her head that's calling her a traitor because of Tamlin. Because it's only been two months. I'm sorry. It's 
only been two months. I mean, I've had entire relationships come and go in less than two months. <laughs> exactly. If I were her, like if this were college me, I'd have broken up with somebody like Tamlin two months ago and I'd have dated three guys by now. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So I'm like, oh, honey, you fine. <laughs> Pretty much. And she says in her internal monologue, Tamlin had given me so much, done so many kind things for me and my family. And here I was wanting another male, even as I hated Tamlin for what he'd done, how he'd failed me. Traitor. Okay. I'm going to go off on this for a minute, people, because y'all got to understand. I get she's feeling the guilt. I get it. I totally get it. Been there, done that. Did some stupid crap in my 20s to my friends who are listening and you know, you know. I get it. I get the guilt she's having because God knows I had I had the whole guilt thing on a couple of different occasions. Yes, we've had this conversation, friends. We know. But she also says she hated him for what he had done. He abused her. He gaslighted her. He, he physically abused her. He mentally abused her. He emotionally abused her. Now, I also know that, that domestic violence and survivors of it have a very different way of coping. But she is not being a traitor to Tamlin for, be, for wanting to be with someone who makes her happy, who makes her laugh, who treats her like the wonderful person that she is and can be. And, you know, honestly, as I told Kelsey earlier, this poor girl really, between, between the PTSD and the guilt, she needs some serious hardcore therapy. And I admit, like I said, I admit she's, she's been through a lot and domestic violence messes you up and gives you PTSD and trauma in ways we cannot begin to imagine. But at the same time, she's not doing anything wrong. And, and I struggle with how messed up her thought process becomes because of this. And so they're, they're, she's back at the present place of being in this Illyrian war camp on top of a mountain. It's, it's kind of, as she said, you know, it, it's a brisk, cloudy morning little cold she's literally looking and she's like you know at the opposite end of the camp in a rocky area that ended in a sure plunge off the mountain and then she notes and this is so important because it's how she starts to understand certain things about Reese Cassian and As. there was no warmth here no joy even the houses at the other end of the camp had no personal touches as if they were only used for shelter and storage. And so it really, I think, finally gives her some context for some of the stuff that they deal with and and have experienced in their past, which is really good. And it's very important for her to have that understanding. And they're standing there in the group. And these, oh, I want to say six, six other warriors because one in the middle and then he's flanked by five come up to the little group and Cassian and Reese are in front more and Farrah behind them but the first thing Farrah notices is all of these guys coming up to them only have one one little siphon jewel and Cassian and Az both wear seven yeah yeah that yeah 
Yeah. And and she also notes that all their siphons are smaller than Cassian or Azrael's. It's funny. I can't help myself. Like little little things like that just entertain the crap out of me. I feel like she was also alluding to some wingspan joke. <laughs> mm, well, considering what we find out about Illyrians. Just, just, just everything about them was smaller. Is basically what she said. <laughs> basically. Basically. They start asking him what's going on. And apparently the leader, who we find out is Lord Devlin, um, gets into it a little bit with Cass because the women aren't out there practicing only the men. And he had just been there a few days prior for a camp inspection. You know, Lord Devlin's like, well, they do chores first. Okay. This is the most misogynistic group who ain't that the truth? It's not even just like this group of men. Like it is, it is the culture. The Illyrian culture is so misogynistic and so anti-woman. It's awful. It's horrible. I hate it. Like it makes it makes more angry. It makes Cassian angry as Reese Feyre. Like, I'm sorry, but do you really want to piss off your high lord? Because you're an asshole like that. That's the part I kind of can't wrap my head around. Yeah. I mean, dude could like kind of, yeah, I kind of can't figure that part out Reese does explain it a little bit later but it just seems a little like a cop-out to me I mean granted we've had bigger fish to fry in the last 50 years true but wow he he does all of this and Reese is like look this is lovely but I need two things from you first of all you get the girls in the ring ASAP second my mother's house I want it cleared out and prepped we're staying there and Devlin starts to push back. Well, my my tops, my top warriors are, are staying there. And Reese is like, they can leave, have them out. I want it clean. We're staying there. Period. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Can you even imagine talking back to Reese unless you're Amarin? <laughs> uh, no. Or, or more, because more does. More gets sassy with him too. Sure, sure. But literally, like, what the fuck? I don't understand this man. Like, does he not care about his life? I don't understand. But anyway. I just, I love it. Because, you know, he, he basically, t- well, he exactly says, the, the exact quote is, is then unoccupy it. <laughs> Which I just love. I like, know. I thought the same thing. I was like, dang. <laughs> so anyway, and then he realizes Feyre's there. And he smells her. <laughs> Which just makes me laugh. And he's like, why did you bring another creature like that here? Oh, wrong thing. Again, wrong thing how to say. damn stupid you gotta be, dude. This man like, is like, he is just an idiot. Yeah, I was like, he's like the dumbest man. Like this man does, he's got rocks for brains. Rocks, rocks is, a, is the smallest thing you could say about it. <laughs> We, I have to say this, I have to quote this for you guys, because you guys got to hear this. It's just hysterical if you haven't read it yet. Amarin Reestrald sends her regards and asks for this one. I tried not to flinch away from meeting his stare. She's mine, he said quietly, but viciously enough that Devlin and his warriors nearby heard. And if any of you lay a hand on her, you lose that hand. And then you lose your head. 
I tried not to shiver as Cassian and Moore showed no reaction at all. And once Favorite is done killing you, Reese smirked, then I'll grind your bones to dust. Okay. First of all, he sets Favorite up as the scary one, <laughs> which I love. I know, which is adorable, but the, what she says she does is hilarious. <laughs> She's got rattling around her head this whole time. She's mine. He lays claim to Vera. Hmm. But, her, but her reaction so that they wouldn't know that, like, this wasn't true, that, like, Reese was bullshitting. She says, I gave them all a small smile. Anyway, one I'd seen Amard make a hundred times. Let them wonder what I could do if provoked. <laughs> she basically just channels her inner Amrit. I love it. Hilarious, yeah. So like in her brain, she's like, I'm his. I'm she's fine. What? Oh, oh, gotta do something. Smile. <laughs> I love it. And Reese is finally like, we're heading out. He doesn't even dismiss Devlin and the other warriors, by the way. He just talks to Cassian and more, which I think is hysterical. Because he basically, as, as any fan of the Regency era bromances and Regency area would, would know, he gave Devlin the cut direct. And so he just kind of, we're out, and he grabs Feyre and they go off because they're going to go train. And as they're leaving, poor Feyre, she has two words in our head, echoing against the words traitor. So she's got traitor and she's mine, banging back and forth for space in her head. I'm sorry, that's some loud real estate going on there. I don't know. Yeah, I have a headache just thinking about it. <laughs> Me too. But we get a snowflake and he scooped her up in there flying off. And I love how she says, being in Reese's arms again against his body was a test of stubbornness for both of us to see who would speak about it first. Because I'm sorry, I think it's funny. Sometimes They're playing the chicken. Them, exactly. I was like, sometimes the two of them are so seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe eighth if we're lucky. But he takes her. I'm having flashbacks to like ninth grade algebra that could rival this. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm thinking about like the people I was in class with in like ninth grade algebra and like, yeah, like that this is on par with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely eighth grade middle school, ninth grade high school. Yeah, right there. And there they go out and they're, they're flying over the mountains and, and Fair admits it's really beautiful. They get out to this clearing, and I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff, by the way, people. If you want to know about it, go read it, and it deals with Amarantha and the Illyrians, and I'm just not going to get into it. Because it's, like, a lot of backstory that, like, kind of helps, but doesn't set up anything that's happening, like, right now. Right. But the one thing that comes out of this that Farrah has a question about, because remember, she's got one herself... It's, she asks them about the tattoos. She's like, for as much as you dislike them, you have their tattoos. And Reese's response to her is, I got the tattoos in part for my mother, in part to honor my brothers who fought every day of their lives for the right to wear them. 
And so then she's like, but why do you let Lord Dublin speak to Cassie in that way? And Reese is like, look, I pick my fights. And apparently, you know, they go into the whole thing and they, they start talking. And apparently out of most of these camp lords, Lord Dublin is one of the more liberal ones. A terrifying. I, I just, yeah. Ugh. Talk about, it's like the misanthrope. He's the misanthrope, so I can't even imagine what the other guys are like. And, um, but he acknowledges that Lord Devlin did allow Reese and Cass and Az to compete in the blood rite. Now, this is a lot of backstory. I'm not going to go into great detail, but the blood rite is a sacred ritual for the Illyrians. It happens, it comes up again in another book. That's the reason why it's here. It sets the story. Um, and it's, it's how they define who the best warriors are. And the, the first warrior warriors to reach the top of their sacred mountain and touch the sacred stone at the top of the mountain basically win the blood right. And then there's a ranking of warriors after that. I don't totally know. He does go into some it's of basically it. basically an American Ninja Warrior, guys. Yeah. But you start off naked. Okay. So it's like Survivor meets <laughs> American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> yeah, basically. With a little bit of naked and afraid mixed in for fun. Yes, I was about to say that. So anyway, so she's like, okay, fine. But what happened, and one of the things that made what happened so special is they separated Reese, Cass, and Azrael. They managed to, in the middle of the going through the right, they found each other and they fought and killed together to win to get to the top. And so it's kind of like, okay, then. And Reese finds a clearing and he lands them. And he's like, all right, well, whoever our enemy is, they're keyed into my magic, so I can't do anything. But you, you're practicing yours. Show me what you got, princess. Not really. I mean, that's what he says, but that's kind of the gist of how he handles it. Pretty much what we get. And she starts pestering him with questions about how did he meet Tamlin and yada, yada, yada. And Reese is like, look, fine. You do magic. You show me what you got. I will answer questions. Tit for tat here. Vera's thinking, okay, fine. So she does. She starts doing her thing. Reese, I love this because he's like, he had met, he met Tamlin because as he says, Tamlin was younger than me, born when the war started. But after the war, when he'd matured, we got to know each other at various court functions. He seemed decent for a high lord's son, better than Baron's brood at the autumn court. Tamlin's brothers were equally as bad, though. Worse. And they knew Tamlin would take the title one day. And to a half-breed Illyrian who'd had to prove himself, defend his power, I saw what Tamlin went through. I befriended him. Sought him out whenever I was able to get away from the war camps or court. Maybe it was pity but I taught him some, some Illyrian techniques. And then Ferris like, well, did anyone know? And she starts doing magic again because she had stopped. Reese is like, what Cassian and Azriel knew, my family knew, and disapproved. Tamlin's father was threatened by it, by me. He wanted to prove that the, to the world that he wasn't. My mother and sister were supposed to travel to the Illyrian war camp to see me. I was supposed to meet them halfway, but I was busy training a new unit and decided to stay. 
Tamlin's father, brothers, and Tamlin himself set into the Illyrian wilderness, having heard from Tamlin, from me, where my mother and sister would be, and that I had plans to see them. I was supposed to be there. I wasn't. And they slaughtered my mother and sister anyway. Pharaoh begins shaking her head. Her eyes are burning. She didn't know what she was trying to deny or erase or condemn. It should have been me, he said. And I understood. Understood what he'd said that day I'd wept before Cassian in the training pit. They put their heads in boxes and sent them down the river to the nearest camp. Tamlin's father kept their wings as trophies. I'm surprised you didn't see them pinned in the study. I was going to vomit. I was going to fall to my knees and weep. But Reese looked at the menagerie of water animals I had crafted and said, what else? Perhaps it was the cold. Perhaps it was his story. But hoarfrost cracked in my veins and the wild song of a winter wind howled in my heart. I felt it then. How easy it would be to jump between them, join them together. My powers. Okay, so before we go any further. Her powers. <laughs> she has suddenly come through all this. She's hearing this horrific story how Tamlin's family, Tamlin, his brothers, and his father butchered his mother and sister. And then as she's doing it and she's hearing this, she's so horrified. She's come to realize that these powers that she's been practicing this magic, they aren't the powers of the high lord they are hers and she can easily go between them now and meld them together and make them all work together and i think this is kind of a big deal because think of where we were however many chapters ago with the adder she's made so much progress and Order. so it's kind of it's it's amazing and i'm like you go you go and so when reese and his father both heard about what had happened he acknowledges to Pharaoh, he goes, I wasn't wholly truthful when I told you that my father killed Tamlin's father and brothers. I went with him. I helped him. We went into the edge of the spring court that night when we went to the rest of the way on foot to the manor. I slew Tamlin's brothers on sight. I held their minds and rendered them helpless while I cut them into pieces and then melted their brains inside their skulls. When I got to the High Lord's bedroom, he was dead. And my father, my father had killed Tamlin's mother as well. My father had promised not to touch her, that we weren't the kind of males who would do that. But he lied to me and he did it anyway. And then he went for Tamlin's room. And Reese says, I tried to stop him. He didn't listen. He was going to kill him too. And I couldn't, after all the death I was done, I didn't care that Tamlin had been there, had allowed them to kill my mother and sister, that he'd come to kill me because he didn't want to risk standing against them. I was done with death. So I stopped my father before the door. He tried to go through me. Tamlin opened the door, saw us, smelled the blood already leaking into the hallway, and I didn't even get to say a word before Tamlin killed my father in one blow. I felt the power shift to me even as I saw it shift to him, and we looked at each other as we were both suddenly crowned High Lord, and then I ran. Which is so wild. Like, when you think about what that moment would be like, it is so wild. Yeah, I mean, explains the animosity between the two of them. 
But it also explains the pain that Reese has with, with regard to, to Tam. Um, because there is definitely some pain sure. there. And, and he struggles sometimes, I think. Um, and, and Reese realizes that Tamlin, of course, never told Feyre any of that. Didn't explain that his family had basically started this. Kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys, but we actually know who began it. A little bit. Crazy, crazy. So, poor Feyre, she's she's so upset. She's like, I apologize. I'm sorry. And Reese is like, what are you sorry for? You didn't do anything. And Feyre comes to realize, she goes, and Reese thought I'd been comparing him, comparing him against Tamlin as if I held him to be the same, to be some paragon. And I'm so glad she has this realization. However, it does oh, not right. deal with the problem of all this damn fucking guilt she's got. And it makes me cranky as hell. Same, because I'm like, I don't really know how much more proof you need, my friend. Exactly. But she does acknowledge that now she knows why he made Tam beg the day he met her in the, the Supreme Court that day. I thought that was kind of funny. And so she gets so upset, she releases fire and she quite literally pretty much tried to, 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 to burn down the little clearing they were in. Reese had to kind of suffocate it out. But in the process of him suffocating out this fire, she's looking across at him and she sees him as a painting, that hole in her chest. She saw an image there. And at first interpretation, he'd look terrifying, vengeance and wrath incarnate. But if you came closer, the painting would show the beauty of his face, the wings flared, not to hurt, but to carry me from danger to shield me. I didn't want you to think I was trying to turn you against him, he said. The painting, I could see it, feel it. I wanted to paint it. I wanted to paint. Oh my God, you guys, this is huge. This is the first time in this whole book she actually wanted to paint. Praise God, let's have a party. And then she looks at him and she goes, I want to paint you. And Reese, being Reese, very tongue-in-cheek says naked would be best. And they fly off back to the Illyrian camp. And we have the end of the chapter. Ta-da! So. Wow, that's a lot to unpack in two chapters here, people. Yeah, and I just give her credit for like wanting to paint again. Like, finally. Finally, she's figuring, figuring her shit out. I'm so proud of her. Of course, she's about to nosedive into stupidity in a few chapters. But, you know, well, yeah. for the moment, I'm proud of her. <laughs> I know. I'm proud of her, too. I'm proud of her too. So, chapter 46. Poor Farah. After flying, being out in the elements, doing her thing, she's so cold she never thought she'd get warm again. And they get back to the house and they're eating. And both Moore and Cass are kind of on the more somber side, but they start talking about everything going on. And he went to open his mouth. And by the time he got, went to go say something, she had already slipped inside the room because she's a little coward. But we get a snowflake. Yay! 
And it's the next morning, and Reese has favor packed some extra stuff because they're gonna go out, but they're not gonna come back to the to the little house that night. They're gonna be out far enough that they're gonna stay at a little inn on their way and um, do their thing out there and come back the yeah, next day. Yeah, because he's gotta he's gotta take her far enough away she can't do damage. Exactly. <laughs> when she practices there. her magic, she's a little scary. Well, especially after she tried to set the, the, the forest on fire yesterday. Yeah. She got like, angry. It, it, right. Like that was impressive and terrifying at the same time. Yes. Um, so they're flying. And as they're out walking through the woods, trying to find, and they finally find this location. She's walking because he wanted them near water for obvious reasons. And she's like, we hadn't spoken of Starfall or the Court of Nightmares. And last night, as I twisted and turned in the tiny bed, I decided fun and distraction. It didn't need to be complicated. Keeping things purely physical, well, it didn't feel like it was as much of a betrayal. Now, again, I don't know why the hell she feels like she's going to be betraying anyone, but okay. Okay, but the bigger problem I have isn't even that. Like Kim and I were discussing offline at one point. I don't understand because if your brain really truly believes that you are like cheating on this man or you are a traitor or whatever, right? Wouldn't a purely physical relationship be worse than like walking away from someone because you realize you are like truly madly in love with someone else? Like, don't you feel like that could be like forgivable because you'd be like, well, shit, like damn girl found love of her life like good for her like you know what I mean versus being like now nah, she just started to fuck some dude like right I don't really understand this mentality I feel like it's ass backwards I agree I agree I I, I I don't have an answer for you I don't I mean nobody wanted to like string my string me up by my toes right thanks so she, but she goes out and she starts, she, she has Reese stand back, stay back a bit. She goes forward down this path because she can hear a stream and she wants to go check it out. She's checking it out. She finds this nice little clearing area right on the edge, a little bit of a ledge. There's a stream. So if she gets a little crazy with the fire. There's plenty of water to put it out. And she doesn't hear anything or notice anything until she hears a twig. And she's like, okay, this is good. And she's so focused on what she's doing that she turned around and realizes she's been surrounded. Feyre, I whirled. Arrow knocked and aimed at the source of the voice. Dun, dun, dun. Four spring court sentinels stalked from the trees behind me like rays, armed to the teeth and wide-eyed. Two I knew, Bronn and Hart, and between them stood Lucian. And that's the end of the chapter, friends. <laughs> wah, wah. Talk about and this is where, yeah, this is where shit gets stupid. Uh, and this is where, uh, thank God we don't leave you. This is where I take over and talk about some stupid shit. So uh, let's get into it. <laughs> let's, let's get into the stupid we're about to just encounter. There's just like a whole damn line of stupid. <laughs> there is. There is more stupid than we know what to do with. <laughs> what is that hairspray quote I love so much? Uh, when Penny, what's her name there? Uh, Penny, is that her name, I think? Uh-huh. And she's dating, uh, what's his name there? Yeah. And uh, Ms. Maybell looks at them and says, like, oh, you guys better get ready for a, ne- what is it she says, a uh, uh, whole lot of ugly from a never-ending line of stupid. Yes. 
you better get ready for a whole lot of ugly from a never-ending line of stupid. Uh, that's basically what, uh, what, what we get in this next chapter. Well, yeah, but on top of it, like, it just... But it's a real cliffhanger of a way to end the chapter. It's like, oh, yeah. and there's Lucian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I She's laid yeah. eyes on this boy in two months. Right. Womp, womp, what? Because remember, he left her locked in the house. Yeah. Dumbass. Yeah. That's why Dumbass. I said there's like a whole lot of ugly coming from a never ending line of stupid. Um, yes. And it's all Lucian. <laughs> chapter 47. Uh, let's see. Oh, so Lucian's back. Lucian! Uh, Lucian's back. Yeah, so Lucian's back. And uh, we know I love him, but I so don't love him right now uh, because he says the stupidest thing. He's like, we've been hunting for you for over two months. Hunting? She's not a rabbit or a serial killer. Jesus. And Farah is as insulted as I would be. And she asks him, how did you find me? And then internally notes, my steady, cold voice wasn't one I recognized, but hunting for me, as if I were indeed prey. And Lucian tells her someone tipped them off, and Luck took care of the rest, basically. And Lucian steps towards her, and she steps back. And now he's like a little wide-eyed. Apparently, it never occurred to him that she wouldn't want to be found, despite her writing a whole fucking note about it. Lucian's all... We need to get out of here. Tamlin's been, he hasn't been himself. I'll take you right to, and she cuts him off. No. And again, Lucian, my man, you are smarter than this. How did you think she was just going to be like, oh, Tamlin's sad. That changes everything. Let's go back so he can be more himself and I can be miserable again. Like, what the fuck, dude? No. (laughs) And then just to prove he's really not getting it, he's like, Farah, let's go home. And she corrects him. That stopped being my home the day you let him lock me up inside of it. And I mean, again, what did he think she was going to say? I love, I love, I love how she's like, you let him lock me up. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he just keeps getting foot in mouth. Like he's sticking his foot so deep in his mouth that she'd be coming out his asshole. And he tries to be like, damn, sorry. It was a mistake. We all made mistakes. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hell yeah, she made a mistake in trusting you two bozos. Yeah. yeah what the Dude, I'm sorry. She she was there and I mean, he was physically abusing her. And he was just like, womp, 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 no, no, don't see nothing. Nothing to see here, folks. Uh, how? And then, like she's thinking with a lot more clarity than I am at the moment because clearly I am raging about this and she's thinking about how if Lucian gets close enough to touch her she's screwed he will winnow them out of there admittedly he's not the most powerful winnower but he could get them far enough fast enough that Reese wouldn't be able to catch them before she was back in the spring court Mm -hmm. so she's thinking through Cassian's training and how if he were here he'd just wipe Lucian out in a second but Lucian still takes another step forward, trying to tell her that like everything's a mess and like it was a mess, it's still a mess and they need her to come back. And while he's talking, the other Sentinels are closing in around her and like hurting her. And mm-hmm. she notes the High Lord's pet in possession, she thinks. And just as Lucian reaches out for her, she thinks her next, next thought, which is, I was not the High Lord's pet any longer. That's right. And just 
And just as Lucian's hand meets the leather of her sleeve, she becomes ash and smoke and night and winnows right behind the sentinels who then whip around to find not only her, but Reese at her side. Reese's pieces! There he is. <laughs> we knew he'd find her eventually. <laughs> Boy. And, and Lucian freezes, which, like, good move. First good move you've made all day, buddy. Yeah. And Farrah's internal monologue never fails us. Like, what a description we get of Reese. She never fails us in this department. Dark, elegant clothes, no wings, no fighting leathers. The unruffled fine clothes, another weapon. To hide just how skilled and powerful he was. To hide where he came from and what he loved. A weapon worth the cost of the magic he'd used to hide it, even if it put us at risk of being trapped. And these, like, insightful moments in Farrah's internal monologue are like actually admittedly like what we love even though I often give a hard time about them. Yes. <laughs> I give her a hard time for how her brain works but sometimes we get gems like this and it's worth it. Yes. Um, but, but anyway Reese basically tells Lucian he should find some manners and that when a girl says no she means no <laughs> and well, Lucian is way too blind to see what's going on here. He's clearly been drinking the Night Court is evil Kool-Aid and asks well, what Reese has done. Yeah, like, what the, what the, what the hell? And asks what Reese has done to Farah. And Farah cuts in and is like, don't come looking for me again. And Lucian says something that's probably supposed to sound like romantic or sweet, but comes off creepy as fuck. He yeah. says, he'll never, <laughs> he'll never stop looking for you. Never stop waiting for you to come home. And like, my dudes. Both of you need help. Tamlin is how old? And he really honestly like cannot understand why she doesn't want to come back. Like, oh. So Lucian tries to convince Pharaoh one more time to come back. And she realizes he is not getting this. He thinks she is playing some sort of game. And she realizes that a child, that's all they've ever seen her as. Like, that's why they coddled her, defended her, but didn't let her in. And Reese warns Lucian to let it go, or Feyre is likely to tear him apart. Yep. But Lucian ignores the warning and tries to deflect the whole thing on Anthe. And she's and he's like, things got bad. Anthe got out of hand, and it doesn't mean you give up. And our girl, woo, who is so proud of her in this moment, she calls his ass out. She's like, Good. you gave up. You gave up. Yes. Lucian and Reese are both <laughs> deathly still at this now, right? They're just like silent still, like, oh, bitch, what she don't say. And she says, you gave up on me. You were my friend and you picked him, picked obeying him, even when you saw what his orders and his rules did to me, even when you saw me wasting away day by day. And Lucian tries again to deflect, but she calls him out, basically <laughs> saying that he was too afraid to stand up to Tam for her. And she continues, I begged you, I begged you so many times to help me, to get me out of the house, even for an hour, and you left me alone or shoved me into a room with the Anthony and told me to stick it out. Awkward. Like, she's not, she is not being kind here. She's pulling she, no punches. Yeah, she ain't playing. And Lucian just can't deal. <laughs> so he says, and I suppose the night court is so much better. Oh my God. And <laughs> she realizes in that moment, she'd do whatever it is that she has to, to keep her friends and Valaris safe. Even if that means letting him believe the night court is the big bad ugly. So in a power move, she tells him, 
When you spend so long trapped in darkness, Lucian, you find the darkness begins to stare back. And by the time <laughs> she's done saying this, she's not only grown talons from her fingers, but a pair of Illyrian wings on her back. And Lucian is horrified. <laughs> and he is like asking what she's done to herself. And she has a beautiful response. She says, the human girl you knew died under the mountain. I have no interest in spending immortality as a high lord's pet. Tell Tamlin if he sends enough anyone else into these lands, I will hunt each and every one of you down. And I will demonstrate what the darkness has taught me. <laughs> and our sentinels are winnowing the fuck out of there. And Lucian, before doing the same, whispers to Reese, you're dead. You and your entire cursed court, which I think is a bit much, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, not. Like, there is no way Lucian can carry that one out. None. Ain't that, ain't that the truth? And once they're gone, Reese can't help but reach out and, like, stroke her wing. And which she notes, he was right. Definitely feels like someone blown on your ear. And he asks her how. And she admits shape-shifting. She'd done it. And she also admits that she did it to show Lucian what he wanted to see. Yep. And then Vera has a fleeting but interesting thought. <laughs> Reese apparently nods at her and then is back in his Illyrian fighting leathers with his wings, his sword, the whole bit. And she thinks for a moment, my warrior. And then suddenly corrects herself, not my anything. <laughs> and I just think this speaks volumes. Like... She's suddenly forced to recognize that she does feel some sort of claim to him, but apparently we're just like not going to address it right now. Right. And again, just tuck this back in your head because next episode I have a bone to pick. <laughs> big one. Yeah. A big old but, sticky bone. Yeah. But instead of actually addressing any of this, um, Reese asks if she's all right. And she says, the fact that it was so easy that I felt so little upsets me more than the encounter itself. And she suddenly realizes another fact that we don't really address here. She thinks, perhaps that had been my problem all along. Why I hadn't dared to take the final step at, far, at Starfall. I was guilty that I didn't feel awful. Not truly. Not for wanting him. Mm. Again, just put it in your head because I have a huge bone to pick. But anyway, um... Reese admits that as bad as he knew things had been for her, he really expected more from Lucian. And she agrees. And she said she had two. And in fairness, I had two, y'all. Me too. Me three. But anyway, Reese, flying with her now, gives her a squeeze and tells her that she looks good in the Lyrian wings and kisses her forehead, which just... No, <laughs> no, <laughs> little shibbly um, shibble. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and that's the end of the chapter. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, now we're on chapter forty-eight, and uh, can I, we, yeah, we will. <laughs> can I just say really quick, just really quick, like, what did Lucian think he was going to do? Really? No, no. That's why I kept yelling that at the beginning of the chapter. <laughs> those messages that I was just like um yeah yeah I'm like what is he doing yeah I, mm, don't get me started we'll never be done with this if I get started again 
I will say, people, for those of you listening, put a pin in all this because if you haven't read further and you're literally doing this with us, this does come back. And Lucian's attitude comes back to bite him in the ass. So bad, guys. So bad. Big time bad. That's all I got to say. Yeah. We, we thought she got him good. Now she gets him even better later. That's all I got to say. So good. And now we're on chapter 48. And uh, like I said, we was flying. And now we're arriving at the inn that Kim told us we would be using. And this inn, by the way, is like the Prithian equivalent to like a shoddy motel with a spastic vacancy sign. Uh, <laughs> except this place doesn't have a vacancy sign that would be flashing. It would be off because there are apparently no rooms. <laughs> no rooms at the inn. None. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a crappy little attic room that has that lacks a bathroom. And actually it cracks me up how often bathrooms come up in this book. <laughs> like we know what her bathroom looks like in Valaris and we know that Amran doesn't have a bathroom. And now we know that there's a bathroom in this in hallway that everyone has to share and it's gross. And she's going to use it once and then try to hold it till morning apparently. <laughs> And like we've all been there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, we're heading to our rooms now. And thus begins, my friends, my favorite trope to love to hate. I give to you two idiots, one bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, uh. So let's hear a little about this room, shall we? <clears throat> Quote, honestly, I didn't care where we were so long as it was dry and warm. Reese opened the door to our attic room and stood aside to let me pass. Well, at least it was one of those things. The ceiling was so slanted that to get to the other side of the bed, I'd have to crawl across the mattress. The room so cramped, it was nearly impossible to walk around the bed to the tiny armoire shoved against the other wall. I could sit on the bed and open the armoire easily. (laughs) The bed. And then Reese chimes in. He did ask her to. Like I said, the mm. realizes that unlike last time, since Reese can't use his magic for fear of being tracked, they can't just like magic in a second bed. And there's literally no room for him and his big ass wings to sleep on the floor. And he can't use his magic to warm the room up as per usual. So she blurts out, if you can't risk using your magic, then we'll have to warm each other. oh shit that was awkward so it trying to fix it she makes it worse she's like body heat yeah honey we got that 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 worse <laughs> like you just plus one equals yeah, made it worse and she basically realizes that she has foot and mouth and so she's just like food food can we get some food <laughs> hungry and reese slides on this like hooded cloak and says that he'll go down and get them something and this would be of less interest if it weren't for Feyre's like creative eyeball and like how she sees things. Because she says she looks at him with the hood on, face in shadow, like the menacing, the wings, and she realizes death on swift wings. That would be what she call the painting she sees in her mind. And he softly says, I love it when you look at me like that. 
Which I just can't even imagine how jarring that had to be to hear. <laughs> because she's like in La La Land, like picturing this painting. And suddenly he chimes in. I love it when you look at me like that. You know she had to be like, whoa, whoa, what? You can see me seeing you? she's got a good poker face and clearly she doesn't and he's inferring that she's not only looking at him like that now but she's done it before <laughs> and he knows it and he knows it exactly i kind of want to go sarah your clue phone is ringing please pick me up I know, like, oh honey but um she asked him to clarify she's like hmm, what <laughs> and, he said, and he says like my power isn't something to run from like you see me and like poor sweet Reese's pieces you don't got like he's like I just I don't know the fact that he thinks he's got to be something to run from like you got a whole thing behind you honey (laughs) yes yes he does she admits that at first she was afraid but he calls bs he's like no you weren't nervous maybe but never afraid I have felt the genuine terror of enough people to know the difference maybe that's why I couldn't keep away and before she can ask what he means by that, he's gone down the stairs to get their meals. And honestly, she knows, I know, we all know. He means from the minute he saw her, like on fire night. I mean, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Not mean, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, while he's gone, Favor changes out of her wet clothes into basically leggings and an oversized sweater, you know, basic white girl fall look. And I'm here for it. It's my weekend uniform from November through February. Yeah, um, I'm, so I'm I there. I can relate and she sits on the bed and she contemplates how close they'll be on this bed given its size and his wings and all that and she also thinks about the encounter with Lucian how he's likely told Tamlin everything by now oh I'm sure yeah and she realizes what's eating her about Lucian not helping her is that if things had been different if she'd been wasting away before Reese and he refused to do anything about it Cassian Azrael one of them would have done something about it or both they'd have gotten her out of there and she realizes on top of that that Reese would never have done that to her he would have seen her he's always seen her right and just again talk this into your thinking cap because this is what I find so freaking frustrating in like a couple of pages anyway the big aha moment she has while Reese is fetching dinner is that while Tamlin hadn't probably done what he'd done on purpose and while she's grateful for more like much of what he did do particularly for her family and while she may always love him a little bit for that Amarantha had essentially broken both of them so completely in, in two totally different ways that they weren't the same people anymore and they no longer make a good fit right and yes like yes this is the energy we want to see we want this kind of growth and understanding which is again why i'm about to get so freaking angry (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys you can't see her like her face is getting all red she's like getting all breathing in this chapter (laughs) breathe Reese comes back with rabbit stew, which apparently makes Feyre like, oh, sad, poor bunny rabbit, which like makes no sense to me because like that seems so out of character for somebody who like hunts for a living up until this point. But okay. (laughs) 
Anyway, Reese gets changed and Feyre basically spends the next few minutes slurping down her stew and trying not to picture Reese naked while he changes. Um, don't we mm -hmm. all? And <laughs> Feyre, when he returns, asks, like, you know, the big questions. How do you wear a shirt with wings? <laughs> okay, I gotta admit, I'm glad somebody finally asked this question because God knows I've had, had them. shit part is he explains it and it somehow still makes no sense to me <laughs> <laughs> like I still don't get it and I mean basically the answer is just magic and Feyre and Reese talk about how like he, he uses magic or his powers or whatever and like how <laughs> there's a price for that you know very once upon a time Rumpelstiltskin style um <laughs> but in all seriousness it has a lot to do with the fact that he has a lot of power and he uses a lot of it to protect his city but he basically uses it for small things too because it builds up if you don't use it and it basically can make you insane and uh, Amarin helped teach him how to avoid going insane and using his powers to, you know, like even things out, I guess. And Feyre thinks about how, yeah, I was like, I guess I get it. And Feyre thinks about how Amarin and the others all serve some sort of like purpose for him and how she really doesn't. And he hears her thoughts and is like, no, nope. <laughs> like, don't think that. And she's like, get out of my head, you know, like she do. And he's all, sometimes you shout shit down the bond at me. I can't help it. <laughs> and, and he says, that, like, that's what made her, like, performance for Lucian, like, so impressive. Because usually she's very easy for him to read. And she, he, I guess he didn't see that coming. No. And Sarah asks, did he think she would go with Lucian? And he says, I heard every word between you. I know you could take care of yourself. And yet... I found myself deciding that if you took his hand, I would find a way to live with it. It would be your choice. And she says kind of, you know, like, well, but what if he grabbed, like, what if he just grabbed me? What if I didn't go willingly? And he says, and this is why we love him, that I would have torn apart the world to get you back. Aww. Which also, like, side note is like... <laughs> book talk talks about this all the time we're like we all have this problem where it's like on paper this sounds great on paper you're like I just want somebody to love me that much but in reality this would be like really agitating no it would <laughs> It'd be really smothering <laughs> but, but the fact that he just says I mean just that yeah he cares enough to at least say that to her whether he right. acts I mean, yes, in theory, the way the book I was is, say, characters, it would happen. But I was saying, yes, in this universe, it would be a thing. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, I find it. I know. It's cute. Mm -hmm. It's cute. Mm -hmm. And yeah. she says that, you know, I would have fired at him if he had tried to hurt you. And he says, I know. But I, I don't think he did <laughs> like I don't know I just I feel like I read this in the first I was like oh yeah that's cute whatever and then this time I read it I was like no you didn't because I don't think she knew that she would until like at the time mm -hmm. so anyway I just I, I don't know I just thought that was interesting <laughs> it's, I find this whole little bit very intriguing absolutely uh -huh. intriguing uh-huh because now we're gonna play a little game you know that thought for thought game and um it's gonna get wild we're gonna talk about our feelings tonight and mm -hmm. um <laughs> B 
because there's just there's just no way to uh, sum this up. We, we just go read it to you, shall we? <laughs> he says, I'm thinking, you know, this is very much like when they were standing um, on the balcony before that first dinner with the inner circle. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm thinking that I look at you and feel like I'm dying. Like I can't breathe. I'm thinking that I want you so badly. I can't concentrate half the time I'm around you. And this room is too small for me to properly bed you, especially with the wings. And she's like, well, damn, this did not go where I thought this was going. I mean, let's be real. I mean, I think this is where she hoped it was going, but we didn't know he was going to be so blatant about it. We thought we'd have to, you know, get drunk first. And (laughs) she says, and this is my favorite thing. This is like the most relatable thing I have ever read in any book ever. My heart stumbled a beat. I didn't know what to do with my arms, my legs, my face. (laughs) I was like, wow, this is the most relatable thing I've ever read in a book. I feel like every actor has been there. Like, what do I do with my hands? (laughs) What do I do, man? like suddenly you panic and you're like what do I do with my arms I feel like that's what happened here she's like oh crap (laughs) something 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 yeah and then she shares her thought and it's just equally like well damn (laughs) she says I'm thinking that I can't stop thinking about you and that it's been that way for a long time even before I left the spring court and maybe that makes me a traitorous lying piece of trash but and he cuts her off and says it doesn't and she admits to herself that she'd wanted to see him during those weeks between visits and that she hadn't cared when Tamla had stopped visiting her, you know, bedroom at what, night. What, 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 yeah. And she admits that Tamla had given up on her and that she had basically given up on him. And she feels like a lying piece of trash for it. So right. she's like, okay, mm, maybe this didn't go as well as I thought. Mm, we should go to sleep. She would think, you know, normally in this book, that'd be like, and then they go to sleep, start snowflake. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. But not this time. Not this time, though. Now we get the sexy part of the episode title. <laughs> mm-hmm. Remember when we said the sexy scenes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we're there. Um, They go to bed and they're all snuggled up. And at first, just because the bed is so small, like they're all snuggled up because <laughs> where are they going to go? But then... Reese calls her out for shivering hard enough to make the bed shake. And she remarks that while her hair is wet, which I, I don't want to call her out, but like cold, wet hair in his face, that is like the least sexy time ever. I, you know, I'm just saying, but this is a book. So we're not going to worry about the reality of hair and face problems. True. Um, <laughs> but we all know that that's a thing. So he like snuggles up behind her. And his arms are like wrapped around her stomach and his legs are like intertwined with hers. And he wraps his wings around them like a little cocoon. And she can't help herself. (laughs) She reaches out and strokes his wings. And he's basically like, you're wicked for playing with me like that. And then she takes this as an invitation to continue what she's doing. And then he like presses harder against her. And well harder he is <laughs> and oh, now like a wow, wow. And yeah, now he's like in turn like stroking her stomach and like teens at a school dance we're not gonna talk about this like adults we're just gonna basically dry hump and not talk about this 
Right. Um, and, until we do. <laughs> because Reese is a lovely man who understands consent. <laughs> um, Thank you, God. But this is where I get as mad as a bee in a bonnet. Because Reese asks, <laughs> first you terrorize me with your cold hands. Now you want, what is it you want, Farah? And she could, she should, but she don't. Tell him how she feels. Dumbass. Oh, instead, she says, I want a distraction. I want fun. And literally- oh, I pointed that out, remember? Yes, you did. And that's why when you said it, I was like, God damn it. <sighs> and literally, Reese tenses, but doesn't say, ow, my feelings, but ow, his feelings. Big owie. And then this bitch, <laughs> I love her, but this bitch has the audacity to think internally. And I wondered if he somehow didn't see it for the lie it was. If he thought, if he thought that that was all I indeed wanted. And yes, that's what he thinks because that's what happens when you answer a point blank question with a seemingly point blank answer. Dumb, dumb. This is why I'm so mad because we just spent how many chapters building up this whole like, I think I like him. What am I gonna do about it? And now you have the opportunity to do something about it. You give a shit ass answer like that. Yeah, well, you know. So irritating to me. So irritating. Because it's the whole thing. Like, that's what, that's why I keep saying, like, this comes up, like, and it just irritates the living crap out of me. Because she just has admitted that she, like, definitely has feelings for him. This is not, like, some fleeting, like, oh, he's just attractive and we got two idiots, one bed. You know what I mean? Like, this has been building up for freaking chapters and chapters, and then she's got to say something stupid like that, and it's just... <sighs> Reese, maybe. <laughs> but Reese, still interested in providing her with said distraction, um, plays the bongos, per se, and I'm sorry, I was trying to come up with a way to talk about the sex scene like a five-year-old was in the room, and I just can't. Point is, is he giving his he's giving her boobs some attention, y'all. And... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> tells her how much he loves them <laughs> which I mean who doesn't love a good pair of boobs I mean we all know the Dread Pirate Roberts certainly appreciates a good pair of perfect breasts right um, right there, there <laughs> there's a lack of them in the world apparently yes apparently and the amount of times that we get to talk about the princess bride in this book makes me so happy <laughs> yes I love me some princess bride <laughs> anyways making this quick because you can read it for the details that it is. I'll flag it if you feel the need. Um, and <laughs> basically, he loves her boobs. She describes uh, him as hard as granite, if you get my drift, as she's mm-hmm. like all pressed up against him. Um, but he tells her that she's not getting that this time. Instead, he's going to touch um, not her boobs. And uh, <laughs> the important part here is basically that he tells her that he wants to touch her first and quote, just let me touch you, which we know isn't what he was going to say. <laughs> like, it's just dash, let me touch you. Mm, he clearly started that sentence with just and then, you know, gave up. Oh. And she kind of fills in this like moment in her head and she's like recalling things he has said. I can't breathe when I look at you. Mm-hmm. Let me touch you. 
because I was just jealous and pissed off. She's mine. Mm-hmm. And this is why I have such a bone to pick because you'd think with all of this running through her head, there'd be like these little warning bells going off and ringing in her head, telling her what's going to happen. But she's just too distracted by some fingers. And yes, like magic fingers. Yes, fair. Um, like I said, read these pages for full effect, but basically she wiggles around so that she's, you know, still face, she can face him while he's still, you know, carrying on doing all the touching things. And she kisses him and they're like making out. And eventually he says, you have no idea how much I, and then he cuts himself off and says her name and she comes undone like a busted roll of biscuits. And we get. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. I love it. Uh, Sometimes when I'm taking notes, I just really say the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, I can't even be around the bush with what you know he just says. So um, remember, we clicked that like explicit box for a reason. So I'm just gonna read it. She's like, I can't. I couldn't breathe hard enough, fast enough. As Reese with Reese withdrew his fingers, pulling back so I could see his stare. He said. I wanted to do that when I felt how drenched you were at the Court of Nightmares. I wanted to have you right there in the middle of everyone, but mostly I wanted to do this. His eyes held mine as he brought those fingers to his mouth and sucked on them on the taste of me. I was going to eat him alive. Hmm. Okay. Well, damn. All right, then. Then their conversation just uh, continues because... Uh, and like I said, I'm going to read it because there's just no summing this up in a way that's, mm, there is no way for me to beat around the bush with these ones. Okay, mm, so she's- They do everything but the act. Basically, because she like goes to like pin him down and I guess, you know, maybe they were going to do it. And he grabs her wrist and I don't really um know what is with this book and licking people. <laughs> I don't know why this is a thing that comes up as often as it does, but it does. And he says, when you lick me, I want to be alone, far away from everyone, because when you lick me, Feyre, I'm going to let myself roar loud enough to bring down a mountain. Well, bam, that sounds dangerous. And then he continues, and when I lick you, I want you splayed out on a table like my own personal feast. And uh, that comes back. It does. (laughs) Then he basically just sums this whole thing up and says, I've had a long, long time to think about how and where I want you. I have no intention of doing it all in one night or in a room where I can't even fuck you against the wall. Because remember, we're in an attic and the like ceiling is basically on our heads, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> so this room ain't it. Yeah. So with all of that and now floating around in her head, he's like, okay, good night. <laughs> Good night, night. <laughs> and they go to sleep and she says sleep found me faster than I thought and maybe it was the wine or the aftermath of the pleasure he'd wrung for me but I didn't have a single nightmare that's the end of the chapter and it's a lot it's all one it's okay because we're gonna get more later and Kim and I have already made a plan for how we're gonna discuss it and we're very excited yes we are <laughs> Very excited to share with you. We have a play. Party. <laughs> but if this made you uncomfortable, there is no hope for you for the rest of the book. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, 
<laughs> y'all are hopeless. I'm sorry. If just bail, just bail now. We will forgive you. <laughs> we hope you don't. Yeah, we'd rather you not, but you know, but if this get is it. not your cup of tea, you get it. <laughs> but actually, uh, the next episode, it still should be your cup of tea. That will get wild. <laughs> In a completely different, violent, weird way. <laughs> yes. Yes, it will. But to wrap this situation up, Kim has some songs for us. <laughs> I do. He's got a lot of songs for us. So we're going to bust through these. Let's do it. <laughs> I do. And I have, I, I ask everyone's forgiveness now because this is a bit of a long list. We haven't had a list this long in a very long time. But hopefully you understand and appreciate it. Because, um, you know, we have Starfall and we have fires in in areas where we try to almost burn down part of a forest <laughs> and we have stupidity of two people in a bed i mean you know we have a lot here to unpack and there's just a lot of music to play with with that so without further ado the first song is waiting for a star to fall by boy meets girl and it's kind of about starfall for all the obvious reasons because i think the title says it all don't you who would have thought? Huh. And it's a cute song. It's a fun little cute ditty. Um, the second one is Star by Erasure, which again is yet appropriate for Starfall. It's about stars. And well, you know, I mean, it, it kind of leads you into the party. And remember, we said Starfall's a party, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this big old dance party going on. And so the third song, which I love this because of how it fits. It's Suit and Tie by Mr. <laughs> Justin Timberlake. And it's so appropriate when you're dealing with how everybody is dressed. Yes. <laughs> I just basically pictured them all walking into the party with this song in the background. <laughs> like a strut, you know? Yeah. So there. I'm there. And then this next song is actually it's one of my personal favorites because I love the lyrics. If you know the lyrics, you'll Oh, I love the lyrics, but I love the music. And it makes me, every time I hear it, I can see more and as and Cassian dancing together when Farrah's watching them dance together, the three of them, before she and Reese join them. And the song is something just like this by the Chainsmokers and Coldplay. I think it's perfect. Love the song. Love, 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 love the song. So I don't want to be in love. But Good Charlotte is song five because it really does fit the weird non-tangential triangle going on between Cassie and Az and more. Yeah, and the fact that Reese and Farrah are just like pretending that nothing is happening. We see nothing. We know nothing. Yeah, we see nothing of the three of you and we have nothing between us. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's right. So number six, Shut Up and Dance but Walk the Moon. And Farrah <laughs> basically song. looks at Reese and says, will you dance with me? <laughs> As basically a way to shut him up. <laughs> Gotta love it. Song seven is I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Because, <laughs> come on, Because people. what else would be playing? What else would be playing when the five of them finally meet up? <laughs> dance as a group. Like, it's a great group dance song. And then we should go slow things down a little here because, you know, remember she says that as everybody started to fall asleep and go and do their thing, go away. Reese danced with her in his arms as the music slowed down all night. 
So song eight is The Dance by Garth Brooks. And it's a beautiful song. And I think the lyrics are actually very appropriate to what's been going on. But it is a beautiful, beautiful song. Yes. And song nine is my all-time favorite. And if my BFF is listening, she'll know when I say this, that it is somebody by Depeche Mode. And it is, in my opinion, the ultimate, absolute best song in the world especially a love song and i can just the lyrics just totally fit both reese and Feyre. so mm, i'm there and that's everything for starfall and then we're going to get to the let's practice fire in the woods (laughs) and we're going to go with light my fire by the doors so appropriate (laughs) come on baby light my fire and boy do she she does (laughs) She does, she does. And then we have two idiots in a bed. <laughs> and for that, we have Sweet Surrender by Sarah McLaughlin. Great know. song. Love Sarah. And, the and last, also because, you know, we do something. We do some stuff. And there's some Sweet Surrender going on in the process, right? <laughs> do, do, do. Um, and the last song, which is so appropriate for so many levels of this one with Feyre playing with her fire and burning stuff and kind of where things end and kind of where we're headed. Yeah, because we're burning bridges. <laughs> we're burning all kinds of shit, baby. Yeah. We're just we burned a big old bridge revolution. Yeah, we're just burning bridges. <laughs> it's going to get ugly next episode. <laughs> it's going to burn. We're going to burn even more in the next it's one. Let me tell you, people. Shit. We, we got some tinder here going and so the last song for this episode is ring of fire by johnny cash the man in black perfect and then in addition to our lovely pimp playlist as always i'd like to point you all to lovely tiktoks <laughs> and there are two today one is definitely starfall the other one is like maybe starfall maybe two idiots one bed however you want to interpret it so the first one is uh, Kaven underscore books, and she, she has a bunch of amazing TikToks for the series. Mm-hmm. And she, like I, said, I would just cast her as Cassian. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> um, she does a fabulous, fabulous TikTok about Cassian realizing that Starfall isn't stars. <laughs> it, it basically is him finding out from Farah. He's like, you mean Starfall's fucking souls flying around? Ew. Yeah, he's just disgusted. You have to hear the whole thing. It's lovely. We will link to it in the show notes. And then Kate Reeves uh, on TikTok did a wonderful, <laughs> basically, mashup of Akamath and The Lion King. <laughs> she was, like, interpreting. And that's why I said, I guess it's kind of like maybe Starfall, like when Reese and Pharaoh are dancing. That's, like, when I would picture it. It's Azriel and Cassian singing can you feel the love tonight but just the beginning part between timon and puma where it's like i can see what's happening what and they don't have a clue (laughs) who and it's just genius so again you gotta check it out and we have the link for you in the show notes And with that, we've wrapped up today's episode. We'll be back next week with, uh, you know, more of a wild ride. <laughs> oh. But in, 
In the meantime, remember, you can find us on all the things and all the things have two A's like Sarah J. Mass is saying, because we're cute like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so check us out on our website, massivefansbookclub.com, Facebook at Massive Fans Book Club and Podcast, Twitter at Massive Podcast, Instagram at Massive Fans Podcast, Pinterest at Massive Fans. By the way, we have some lovely Starfall fan art on our Pinterest. You've mm. got to go look at It's gorgeous. And TikTok mm. at Massive Fan Pod. And I got to admit, while I don't spend a lot of time posting TikToks, boy, do we love the TikTok content we see. So if you see something, Akatar related and you think that we should share it or you think it's hysterical uh, please tag us because we just want to see more <laughs> that's right we love it good stuff we do we do and with that uh until next week 